Welcome to BioCentury This Week. I'm Jeff Cranmer, Executive Editor of BioCentury, and I'm joined by... Simon Fishman, Editor-in-Chief. Eve Osden, Washington Editor. Lauren Martz, Senior Editor. On this week's pod, breakthrough CRISPR data from Intellia. Our deal in focus also features Intellia in a deal with Blackstone and Celix to launch a new car tea company. And what would our pod be without it? The latest in Alzheimer's. Pressure mounts on Biogen over the price of aducanumab from the hill. And Lily readies its own application for its anti-amyloid MAB. First up, at the Peripheral Nerve Society annual meeting on Saturday, Intellia presented the first clinical data indicating CRISPR-based gene editing may live up to its promise of creating one-time curative therapies for systemic diseases. We've got a lot to talk about here. Lauren, in your piece, you wrote that the first hint that CRISPR-based therapies could displace other new modalities in indications where those technologies are just finding a footing in the market. You also speak to what questions remain to resolve. But first, what were the data and what are their significance? These were data from six patients with transthyretin amyloidosis. It was the beginning of a dose escalation trial, and they were treated with a CRISPR-Cas9 therapy that's delivered with lipid nanoparticle to the liver. And so in the higher of the two doses, where three patients were treated, they saw that the levels of the gene that's responsible for pathology in this disease were reduced by an average of 84% which is important because for this indication, reducing levels of that gene that sort of aggregates in a few different types of tissues and causes a lot of very serious problems for patients correlates very well in previous clinical trials of other modalities with actual clinical outcomes. First of all, this is important because when you're looking at a clinical trial for a brand new modality, you're just looking for some kind of evidence that this mechanism is actually going to work. And so they definitely have that here. They have, for the first time, you can inject the CRISPR machinery directly into a patient systemically and target the cells and the genes that you're trying to target. But here they've actually shown with these first three patients that the levels of reduction that they're getting when they're targeting these to the liver is at least as good as any other modality out there. Very early, but a really good sign. So I think we have to think about the historical context of this. It is rare that you get to watch a technology from day one. And this one, I think, is another rare thing where we can actually say day one was pretty much 2012 or 2013, which in itself is part of the CRISPR story. And we have been following it at BioCentury since then. And there are several parts of this. The patent dispute has been huge. But also there are a lot of ethical considerations as people have understood the really transformational potential of CRISPR to eradicate certain diseases. And that in some cases means going to the germline. That's also been a cause of controversy. Controversy for some of you, Steve. And, uh, (laughs) you know, CRISPR has been in the headlines many times. But I think that this modality rises above some of the other modalities for that transformational potential. 
there's obviously a lot of safety risks and a fair way to go that we can talk about. Lauren, I suppose I could ask it this way. Could they have asked for better data? Is this about as good as it gets? There's been a lot of questions over CRISPR, a lot of doubts about it. What could the company Intellia have hoped for? I think this is probably what they had hoped for. In this particular indication, I spoke with the CEO of Intellia last week, and in this particular indication, the closer that you get to a complete knockdown of this gene expression, the better. You could actually reverse the course of disease instead of just stopping it by getting to the 80% level. And I think just because they haven't reached their maximum tolerated dose yet, they're getting knocked down that seems to be even greater than with RNAi or with antisense. And they're seeing a dose effect. So when that dose increases, you could get close to zero. We'll see how low it goes. But this, it not only answered that the technology is working and it's targeting the cells they're hoping it will, but it's actually targeting the liver well enough that they're getting this high level of knockdown. In vivo delivery is the big concern and it's going where it's supposed to go. And it's, it's getting to enough cells that you're knocking down the expression of the gene in enough cells to make a difference in what's circulating through the body. And we've talked a fair amount about biomarkers. So tell us a little bit about how well this knockdown reads through to clinical efficacy, which I'm assuming they haven't yet talked about. No, they said the clinical efficacy and actual outcomes data is probably something around nine months down the line until the company has it. I don't know when we'll see that. It seems to correlate very well. I think it's one of the reasons that this indication is a testing ground for some of these new modalities because you just, if you knock down the gene, correlates very well with the clinical outcome. And that's what we've seen with the RNAi studies and the antisense studies. And do we have any hint of what kind of safety data they're going to need to show FDA since it is a completely new modality and it is messing around with chromosomes? So when I spoke with Intellia, they said they've been communicating with the regulators and they're actually not sampling patients for off-target editing, which was a bit of a surprise to me because that's been the big concern with CRISPR is that you're editing the gene you want, but are you also knocking out other sequences in the cell that could be problematic or could cause cancer, things like that. They said all of that work is done before it gets into patients. They're testing them in human cells and sequencing and trying to find those off targets before they even put them into patients. So they're not taking samples out. It seems like they're very focused on the lipid nanoparticle aspect of the safety at this time, liver toxicity, things like that. But they did not see any serious toxicities during these first 28 days, which is an important point. This is just 28 days of data for something that they're saying should be a lifelong one-time curative therapy. So there's still a lot a lot that needs to be watched. Right, but based on, based on what you're saying in terms of CRISPR, where the concern has always been, if you've got something that could hit anywhere in the genome, you don't know what it's going to do. It seems like you're saying that they've got that bit under their belt. And now the safety they're talking about is delivery safety and a disease-related safety. Is that a fair assessment? That's what it sounds like based on the conversation I had with them. I have no idea what will come after years have gone by after patients are treated, but it sounds like from a regulatory perspective, based on the conversation that I had, they've done a ton of that work up front. And they're confident that off-targets are not going to be a problem. And Jeff, I know we have a stock story coming out today about this. If you are a competitor company, either in 
CRISPR or in uh, amyloidosis, what would you be thinking right now? Yes, that's true. Just to jump in there before Lauren answers that, Intellia is up nearly 50%. We've got CRISPR and Editas moving. They're both up. And we have Alnylam has shed, I think, about a billion dollars in market cap as we speak this morning. And just to emphasize, Editas is a gene editing company. Alnylam is an RNAi company in the same indication. So the CRISPR stocks are going up. Is that what I'm hearing? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and that makes sense. And I think this is a huge proof of concept for the entire CRISPR technology. So that makes perfect sense. And then the low-hanging fruit for CRISPR at this time, based on these data, are indications where you're knocking down a gene, which seems to be easier to do than actually inserting a gene or correcting a gene. And when you're talking about in vivo, liver is is where you want to go. And so there's just a lot of overlap between where the antisense and the RNAi are targeting in terms of indications and where CRISPR could go based on this initial proof of concept that they have. The big difference there is that with RNAi, it's dosing every few weeks and with CRISPR, it could be a one-time thing. What questions remain to be resolved by Intellia as we move ahead? Well, I thought one of them was going to be off-target editing, but it sounds like that might actually not be something that's closely followed. Durability is obviously the big one. That's the big benefit for this technology in vivo. I mean, following how this holds up, how these reductions in levels of the proteins hold up will be really important. Interesting. Well, how long do you think Intellia needs to get answers to these questions? Are we talking a decade? Is it going to be quicker than that? Well, if things continue going as they have with these first three patients, which is so small, I, I don't think approval is a decade away. I, I'm not sure. Just to be more durable than an antisense or an RNAi, it's, does this last longer than a month? I know that we'll see more data from Intellia, especially on these next cohorts, possibly this year, and clinical outcomes data will come after that. Excellent. Well, it's been a busy couple of days for Intellia. Turning to our deal in focus, last week, Intellia partnered with Celix and Blackstone with the investment firm committing $250 million to launch a new company that will develop allogenic CAR T-cell therapies using platforms from Intellia and Celix. It's significant for Blackstone. Blackstone's Ari Bretman told BioCentury's Paul Bonanos, the deal falls into an area of increasing interest to the firm. He referred to it as Perry proof of concept. Historically, Blackstone and its predecessor firm, Claris, had focused mainly on product companies with an aptitude for risk-sharing deals around late-stage clinical candidates. Obviously, we're talking about forming a new company here. The new company will absorb an existing subsidiary of Celix that's based in Dresden, Germany. Celix itself is a cell therapy manufacturing company. And the fact that this subsidiary already had two programs in the clinic was crucial for Blackstone. That's what the firm told us. It gave them the confidence to do this deal. Lauren, is there anything that catches your eye about this technology and where it might fit in with the current CAR-T landscape? Yeah, I think CRISPR gene editing is, is a really useful tool for creating allogeneic cell therapies overall. And 
Intelli is not the first company to partner its technology to create those. I think Editas has a couple of deals and, and CRISPR Therapeutics is, is doing it itself in-house. This seems to go a step further than that. It's not just off the shelf. They're aiming for a universal CAR T-cell. What they have is a single CAR T-cell with one specificity, so it's agnostic to whichever tumor mutation you're targeting. And then the way that they target it to the tumor is you add a secondary compound, a secondary therapeutic compound that is specific for that universal CAR T that will always target that and that the other component of the compound can be changed and adapted to target the tumors. Well, here I think they just have a way to make their CAR T cells even more universal than simply off-the-shelf product. Cool. Well, it'll be interesting to see how this develops. And obviously, we're following Blackstone very closely. We've got both these stories that focus on Intellia up on our website. You can dig out links on Twitter. And for our subscribers, you'll be able to access the Intellia story via our daily email send as well. Let's turn to the story that keeps on giving. Last week, FDA granted breakthrough designation to anti-amyloid monoclonal antibodies from Eli Lilly and partners Esai and Biogen. The move by FDA may be the first step in what some believe will be a watershed for Alzheimer's therapies in the aftermath of the aducanumab approval. Steve, Lilly, and Biogen's compounds are the first in this disease to receive breakthrough designation. What's the significance of that? It means that FDA is still all in on the amyloid hypothesis. It's important for people to understand that breakthrough in this context doesn't mean that FDA thinks that they're necessarily better than any of the other products, because one of the definitions of a breakthrough is that it has the potential, based on early clinical data, to be a significant advance over existing therapies. But drugs that have received accelerated approval are not considered existing therapies, if they've received the accelerated approval that is based on a surrogate endpoint. Aduhelm aducanumab is not considered a comparator for purposes of either a breakthrough designation or accelerated approval for other Alzheimer's therapies. All right. And Lily has said that it plans to seek approval this year based on phase two data that could set it up to be the first in the indication to gain FDA approval based on mid-stage data. I think Esai and Biogen have yet to release a timeline on when they might seek approval of their compound. Now, meanwhile, Congress is ratcheting up pressure on Biogen and the price of its aducanumab. House committees on oversight and reform and energy and commerce announced Friday that they've launched an investigation into the approval and pricing of the newly approved Alzheimer's therapy. Leading the charge there is Representative Carolyn Maloney out of New York and Representative Frank Pallone Jr. from the great state of New Jersey. They said in an announcement Friday, they have serious concerns about the steep price of aducanumab and the process that led to its approval, despite questions about the drug's clinical benefit. That came on the heels of calls for action out of Senate. Steve, what might come of this? 
So you're right. Yeah. So the chairs of the House Energy and Commerce and Oversight Committees have said that they've launched an investigation into the pricing and its impact on Medicare. That's a key thing, as well as the approval decision itself. In the Senate, it's Bill Cassidy and Elizabeth Warren who've written to Finance Chair Ron Wyden asking for hearings about Adjuhem, Aducanumab, and they're obviously pushing on an open door. Wyden cited Adjuhem's pricing as an example of an unjustified launch price and a statement of principles about drug pricing and a reason why Medicare should be able to control prices. I think there's a few things that are going to be interesting here. One is, where does the industry, the rest of the industry, come out on this? Privately, many CEOs have told me and others at BioCentury that FDA shouldn't have approved aducanumab. And even those who believe that it should have been approved are shocked by the broad label. It looks like Biogen also didn't expect an all-comers label. It put out a statement last week saying that the price was based on a smaller market, only early-stage Alzheimer's patients, that it's only going to market the drug for early-stage Alzheimer's patients, and that they assume that uptake will be slow. It also said that it's willing to consider adjusting the price if the market turns out to be much bigger or uptake turns out to be much faster than it had anticipated. It also said that it's willing to negotiate a volume discount for Medicare. And I think that's where we're going with this. One way or another, Biogen's not going to get $56,000 a year per patient from Medicare for millions of Americans to receive aducanumab. The company's smart enough to realize that it's going to have to negotiate something or else it's going to be negotiated for them. And they're going to have to do something that makes sense for the healthcare system and for access for Americans. I think that's where we're going with this. Yeah. And they have an ALS drug that could be approved later this year, I believe. And obviously this other anti-amyloid that they're developing with ESI. So they likely, as you say, they'll want to set themselves up for success for these other neurodegeneration drugs. And I think the key thing is that they're going to have to set up some kind of a paradigm for climbing down on the price in a way that they would like to do it in a way that doesn't set a precedent for CMS or the federal government setting prices on the one hand. And on the other hand, some way to tie the price either to volume or to value or to the collection of additional data, something like that, that sets some kind of a precedent that they can live with and that the rest of the industry can live with for future drugs. All right. Well, definitely a story that we are continuing to watch. You can find a piece by Selena Koch on what's up with Lilly and its plans, which she wrote last week. And Steve, of course, has been following what's going on in Congress. Also on biocentury.com right now, on Friday, we posted two pieces on venture firms that are worth checking out. Paul Bonanno spoke to a pair of partners at Vita Ventures about how the firm plans to deploy its new $825 million fund. The firm is fairly young, but it's already seen 13 liquidity events among 30 investments that it's made in the past four years. Vita believes its third fund will allow it to put roughly 50 million into each of 15 new companies. And that's a step up from the 35 to 40 million the firm anticipated when it closed its vintage 2019 second fund at 600 million. Staying with the Vs, Versant scored a liquidity hat trick last week with Monte Rosa, a protein degradation company, 
and graphite biopricing IPOs. That made for a trio of companies backed by the firm, completing IPOs, valuing each at more than $850 million in the span of a few days. The third company there was Century. Together, they raised a total of more than $700 million with post-money valuations ranging from $850 million to $1.1 billion. Versant holds stakes of at least 20% in all three. And I got some insights from the head honcho at Versant, Brad Bolzin, on where these companies fit with what the firm is doing. And speaking of these venture companies, Simone, why do so many venture companies start their names with V, but if you're a biotech, you've got to start your name with A? Is there something to that? Is this sort of a spelling bee type thing? I think the answer is that biotechs still think that people look them up via the yellow pages. And maybe venture firms think that they go like venture and then maybe it's the V thing from there. Yeah, it's kind of got a superhero vibe, but I wonder how many of our I listeners. I don't want to feed any what, egos how, further. How many of our listeners even know what the yellow pages are, Jeff? Um, <laughs> I, I wonder that sometimes. We used to be a fax publication. Those old, older things are, are near and dear to us, but I think we're now entirely staffed by people that don't know what a fax is. And it, it saddens me a little bit. So, coming up this week on biocentury.com, we will have the piece looking at which stocks are moving on the Intellia news. And we'll have some more emerging company profiles for you. And I'm sure that Steve is cooking up something that will blow the lid off of everything in Washington, D.C. Simone's shaking her head. Hopefully not. He is secretly working on our upcoming back to school issue, which is... And some of us are hoping for a week off next week. So no big news, please, out of Washington. Yes, it's, uh, as everyone knows, it's Wimbledon season. And so Simone needs a little bit of time away to spend with her dear friend, Andy. That's all we have time for. All of BioCentury's podcasts are available on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, and Google. Kendall Square Orchestra provides the music for our podcast. The group connects science and technology professionals and other members of the greater Boston community to collaborate, innovate, and inspire through music while supporting causes related to healthcare and education. Thank you, Lauren, Steve, Simone, and good to have our ace production man back from his wanderings in the wild American West. We'll catch you next week.